1 Peter chapter 4. Let me read this and then we will dive into our message. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since God suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles uh, choose to do, carry on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness. They're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living as they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others, as God as good stewards of the very, I'm sorry, of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for everybody that's here. Be with me as I speak and everyone as they listen. And God, ultimately, our prayer is that we can come to know you more. We love you so much and we thank you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, take your seats. How's everybody's week been so far? Pretty good? Nice. Zach, how was it babysitting Corbin? Pretty easy? <laughs> That's messed up, man. Oh, you were going to go outside, shoot the shotgun. Well, I thought you were going to point it at him, unloaded, obviously. Good. Zach, I would never babysit him again. Just, did you get paid for it, or...? <laughs> you got paid to babysit a 10th grader. I love it. All right. Well, let's get started. We're going um, to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4 today. And I want to start by um, uh, just kind of telling you about my night last night. I got to go to a concert called uh, Winterfest. No, what's it called? Winter Jam. Sorry. And it was really fun. Brielle watched my kids for like seven hours yesterday, so that was awesome. But if you've ever been to Winter Jam, it's just a compilation of a bunch of different bands that come together. And a couple of my favorite bands were there. Um, David Crowder, I have grown up on David Crowder. I love that guy. Um, I got to tell you that um, uh, Andy Minio was probably my second favorite. I loved Andy Minio. This dude would rap while skateboarding, and it was really cool, really awesome. But um, what's cool about uh, David Crowder is that David Crowder was part of a band called Passion. I don't know if you guys have heard of Passion. I know Nexus, you guys went to Passion. But uh, David Crowder was one of, like, I wouldn't say one of the founding members of Passion, but he was a big deal in Passion. It was Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, a guy named Charlie Hall. And so when I was younger, I got into worship. I started leading worship when I was 15, and, and I listened to so much David Crowder, so much. And so when, when I found out he was going to be there, I was really pumped about it. And uh, David Crowder had this song called Prove It, which is the title of my message today. Um, last night when we were listening, he, he gets up there, and he's got this song where the lyric goes... If you're, free, if you're free, prove it. If you're free, prove it. And, um, and it got me really. It was the first, Leah, it was the first song he did. It was the very first song. And I mean, it was rocking. They had the subs cranked up. I mean, it was to the point where I had just eaten and the sub was rumbling my stomach so much. I looked at my wife, I was like, I might throw up. Like, this is really, this is really getting to me here. And so um, he gets up and he sings a song, prove it. And, and I, was, as I was listening to the lyric. I was like, man, 
This will actually be a really cool title for my message tomorrow because today, in this passage that we just read here, uh, Peter is giving us a couple of ways to show your Christianity. He, he, he kind of shows like, he says, hey, if you have the same mindset as Christ, you should see it in these ways. And so today we're going to be, this is kind of what we're going to be talking about today is how can we show that we are Christians? How can you prove that you're a Christian? Because I could be up here right now and I could say to you guys, guys, I am a millionaire. I could say this, right? You guys would probably look at me and say, you're not a millionaire. And I would say, why? I would say, well, look how you're dressed. Clearly, you don't dress like a millionaire, right? You kind of look like a bum. Uh, but you guys would say, prove it, right? You'd need me to show you like, a, I guess, a, a bank statement showing you how much money I have. And the, and the reality is, is that we can say anything we want, right? The problem is, is I think a lot of Christians are saying, yeah, I believe in Christ. I'm a Christian. Yet their lifestyles don't prove that statement. And I'm going to give you three proofs today that, that hopefully if you're living by these, it will, it will prove your faith. It will show your faith. And my question for you guys is that, is your desire to be like Jesus simply words? That's my question. Is your desire to be like Jesus, is it simply words or do you really mean it? Because a lot of people, I think, say it with their words. I think they, they might in their hearts believe it, but their actions don't match it. In fact, my... Um, my main point for today is, is it's actually the lyric from David Crowder's song. If you're free, prove it. If you're free, prove it. I know you guys know this, but when you've given your life to Christ, you have been freed from the slavery of sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. And it's this really cool concept that we are now free. And, and David Crowder's song, he's saying, listen, if you are free, if you have been saved by Christ, then you need to prove it in your lifestyle. And I would contend that there's probably a lot of people in this room who you claim to be Christian, but you're, you're probably not proving it with your lifestyle. And so these, this is what we're going to talk about today, okay? So what I want to do is um, we're going to try to just plow through these points here, but I'm going to give you a couple of verses from that passage we just read. We'll continue our series in First Peter. And our, um, Hey, Andrew, can you hit the uh, slide for me, Not Our Home? We're in our current series right now called Not Our Home. And uh, do you see it back there? Okay, well, you keep looking. I'll talk, all right? But we're, uh, this is week number, let me see, I think this is like week six, and we're just going through the book of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, um, you know, there, there seems to be a theme in this. It's about suffering. It's about going through hard times. So here's our graphic, not our home, encouragement from 1 Peter. Does anybody remember why, like, why, why would the Christians need encouragement during this time? Does anybody remember what's going on in the book of 1 Peter? Does anybody, like, who's he writing it to first off? Somebody remind me. What? Did you say something, Isaiah? No. <laughs> okay. Look like your mouth was moving. All right, seriously, nobody remembers? Who's he writing to in the book of First Peter? Was it, was it the Christians of the church? Yeah, who was it? <laughs> That's right. Great job, buddy. Give me a good dolphin's cry real quick. Thank you. Never again. Thank you. All right. So he's writing to the Christians in the church, right? Now, if you remember, I'll give you the, the brief history. I try to do this every week. The history here is that the church was being persecuted. If you remember, the emperor Nero set a fire in Rome, blamed this fire on the Christians. Nobody was, was pumped that this fire had started. Nero was doing it to expand his palace, lit Rome on fire. And, um, and so the Christians were very, uh, you know, they were kind of this new group of believers. They were kind of smaller at this point. And Nero, in his, in his crazy wisdom, he says, you know what? I'm going to blame this on the Christians, and then they'll blame them for the fire. They won't blame me. So this mass persecution broke out against Christians, where it was to the point where if you even spoke about being a Christian, if you, if you showed that you read, uh, like, if you showed that Jesus was your Savior, what they could do is arrest you, kill you, 
uh, kill your family. They could do all of these things. And if you remember, one of the points I, or one of the things we talked about last week is he would wrap Christians up in animal skins and send them into the Colosseum to be eaten up by these lions. He would put them on these big posts and light them on fire to light their parties at nighttime. I mean, this dude was crazy. And so if you're a Christian in these times, you can imagine that there's a chance that you're probably going to be a little discouraged, right? Where you're like, man, things are really rough right now. I had a buddy who was a Christian. Look at him. He just got thrown in prison. Or I had a family member who was a follower in Christ. Look at this. They, they just got killed because they're a Christian. And so Peter, I think, knew this, and he wrote this book specifically to encourage the early church. He's like, listen, guys, yeah, you're facing these tough times, that you're facing suffering, you're facing really, really hard times. However, and this is the whole theme of the book, is he says, however, this is not your home. If you remember in one of the verses, he says, you guys are, you're essentially, you're aliens to this land. You, you don't, this is not your home. You don't belong here. And, and I'll tell you, this is the best encouragement you can get as a Christian, where you're going through a tough time, things are not going great, and you can say to yourself, you know what, soon I will be with God in my real home. You guys ever gone on a trip before where you're pretty pumped to get back home? Like, this happens to me every vacation I go on. If it's a good vacation, it doesn't matter. When I pull into my driveway, I look at my house and I go, ah, oh, I'm home. There's something about home, something about sleeping in your own bed, sleeping on your own pillow. And so when I get home, I'm always pumped about it. And there's been trips that I've gone on that haven't been too fun, right, where I'm just like, oh, just two more days and then I'm back home again. Uh, you know, you're sitting in school and you go just a couple more hours and I get to go home. Thank the Lord, right? And Peter is kind of given this same mindset. He's like, guys, listen, you're going through tough times. You're going through really hard situations. But guess what? It's temporary because this is not your home. Someday you will be with God. And so that's kind of the general theme of the book. And what we see here is in um, the first part of chapter 4 here is um, he, he's kind of saying, listen, listen, Jesus went through a lot of suffering. Jesus faced some hard times. But if you want to act like Jesus, here's some things essentially that you should be able to see in your life. So what I want to do is give you three proofs, okay? So let's go ahead and I want to reread to you verses 1 to 3 one more time. So if you have your Bible out, go ahead and follow along, and then I'll give you proof number one, okay? Verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles chose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, and then he lists some more things. Um, and, and so this right here, he shows us, he, he's saying like, listen, Christ suffered, and I love what he says here, he says, um, you, you should be of the same understanding. Essentially, he's saying, listen, Jesus acted this way, he did these things, you need to have the same mindset as Jesus. So here's point number one, okay? Point number one, proof number one to see if you are living for God, and, and I'm going to say it this way, it's your view of sin. Your view of sin. This is not a trick question. Let me ask this, ready? Does the Bible have a positive view of sin of an, or a negative view of sin? What do you think? Does it look at sin and go, hmm, I like sin? Or does the Bible, is it pretty negative towards sin? What do you think? Not a trick question. It's negative, right? It's a negative view of sin. God does not like sin. Jesus did not like sin. And we as Christians, we need to have the same view. And this, this is why when we talk about your view of sin, I love where it says here, he goes, he goes, again, you know, Jesus came. What was Jesus' view on sin is he didn't like it. What was Jesus' view on, on us is he loved us so much he died on a cross for us. And, and Peter's saying, listen, the way Jesus understood things is the same way that we need to understand things. And when you become a Christian, listen to what he says. He says, um, 
In order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer, uh, you don't do it for human desires, but for God's will. And then he lists some sins. So, so essentially he's saying, listen, before you gave your life to Christ, you might have been doing some of these things that the Gentiles do, drunkenness, evil desires. But if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be doing this stuff anymore. And, and, and that's why proof number one is you need to have a negative view of sin. Like, as a Christian, you need to see sin the same way that Jesus saw sin or that God sees sin. You guys ever met people who claim to be Christians, yet you find out in their lives that they just do a lot of sinning and stuff, like a lot of terrible things, and you just go, I'm not sure that person's really a Christian. I always say one of the proofs that you can tell if somebody is truly a Christian or not is if they feel a conviction over their sin. Like if somebody says they're a Christian, yet they just sin and sin and sin, and there's no conviction, that obviously we can't know for sure. That's between them and God. But that actually says to me that the Holy Spirit does not live inside of them because the Holy Spirit is what convicts us, right? So we as Christians, we need to have an accurate view of sin. We're living in a time now, and I think you guys would agree with me, is we're living in a time now where the world has become very, very, um, uh, what's the word? Like they, they've become very accepting of sin. Like think about this. A uh, hundred years ago, this idea of, of killing an unborn baby in the stomach would have, would have been crazy, right? You're just like, what do you know? That, that's, that's murder, right? But nowadays, we're totally cool with that, right? Like most of America, we're, we're cool with abortion. We're cool with, with just a bunch of things that the Bible says is not okay. Now, Peter here, I love this point, is he goes, listen, listen, this is how the Gentiles act. Essentially, he's saying, these guys act this way. And non-Christians, you can, it's, it's hard to uh, I won't say blame, but it's hard to like be surprised when a non-Christian sins, right? Because you're just like, this is your evil nature. This is what we do, right? But Peter's saying, listen, you guys as Christians, you got to stop doing this stuff. And I'll tell you a story, and this is, it's actually about Corbin as he walks out of the building. Great job. See you later, all right? But um, in my house, I've got this, uh, this garage out back, and it's where we park our cars. And, and I'll tell you this, I, I'd never had a garage to park in before I moved into this house. And it is life-changing. Like, during winter, when you, when you can park your car inside a garage and not have to scrape it every morning, I told my wife, I was like, thank God that we moved here. Like, this is a, a great thing. So we moved out. Who, who, who in here lives in the country? Anybody live, like, in the country? I know you guys. You're pretty much my neighbor. You guys live in the country. What county are you from? Where? Mo oh, MoCo. Is that what they call it? Moro County? Okay. That's what they call it. So anyways, yeah, you guys are in the country, all right? We're in the country, and what's funny is I lived in downtown Sunbury, which is not a booming metropolis city, right? It's not like big time, but it's not country either. And so when we decided we wanted a little bit more land, a little bit more privacy, we, we moved out to this house in the country on 37, and it's five acres. I have a pond out there. I've got some land and stuff. And I, guys, I love my house. Like, my house is old. It's falling apart. There's not a single straight door in my house. All my doors are crooked because the house is, like, settled. It's over 120 years old or something. But um, actually, it's more than that. It's probably about 140, 50 years old. But, but I love this house, right? And so one of the things about this house is I've got this nice barn that we park our cars. But, you know, there's a couple things that you have to uh, take into account when you move into the country. And it was stuff that I wasn't prepared for. For instance, five acres of land means you're going to be mowing a long time. So I was like, okay, this is my yard in, in my downtown summary house was very small. It took me like 30 minutes to do it with a push mower, right? So now I have this 70-inch zero-turn mower, and it still takes me two hours, right? I got a lot of trees everywhere that I got to go. I don't mind it, but, you know, when I get home, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I got to mow the yard. Okay, whatever. Um, also, uh, my house is, you know, it's, it's old. With old houses come a lot of things. 
But the biggest thing about moving out in the country that I wasn't prepared for was the wildlife out there. Uh, like just today, I'm pulling out of my yard and I see six deer just run near my pond and I'm like, <gasps> now that was cool. However, it's not cool when raccoons uh, start getting into your property. Anybody have any problems with raccoons at their house? Yeah. Guys, I, I hate raccoons. Like they, they knock your trash over, they eat all this stuff. Um, I, I remember uh, I, I got home one day and, and I saw that my wife's car was parked outside the garage. So I go inside and said, hey, why didn't you park in the garage? And she goes, you got to get out there and fix the problem. I said, what's the problem? And she goes, there's a raccoon living in our garage. And I said, okay, well, I'll take care of it. And to be honest, my thought was to call you, Zach, because I heard you crossbowed one last summer. Is that true? What a man. All right. I, I, I couldn't do that, right? So my wife's like, I need you to kill these, this raccoon. And I said, all right. Um, at the time, we just saw one of them, right? So I remember going out there, and I saw this big raccoon just crawling down our post, like, forward and it crawled all the way down and I got like the heebie-jeebies I was like I don't want to touch that thing like I, I'm I've never killed anything I haven't done any of this stuff it crawls down and then I and I go out and Brittany's like did you take care of it and I said well not yet but I will okay I will she goes well, you got to take care of it now I said not I got homework to do I got stuff to do I'll get around to it so a couple weeks go by and we look and I walk in there and in my rafters I see two raccoons and I'm like oh crap and then I was like well I better get to that and then I just kind of push it off well, finally, I go in there, and my wife claims that she saw many raccoons at one point. She says, I saw one walking across, one crawling down. And I said, okay, finally. I was like, I need to do something. And Brittany goes, you, you don't care about this, do you? And I said, no, 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 I do care about this. She goes, no, you don't. If you did, you would have done something by now. And this really kind of was like a blow to my manhood. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it right now. So I go get my live trap. I set it up. I don't catch it. You know how a live trap works. It's just a cage that... You, it's spring-loaded, so you put the top up, and then they walk in, step on the lever, and it comes down behind, and then I come out with my 22 rifle and blast them in the face. And so I'm waiting to catch these things, and, and I don't catch any. And finally, Corbin was the one who suggested. He goes, hey, man, you ever tried using cat food? Which is a pretty good Corbin impression, right? He goes, you ever tried using cat food? And I said, no. And he goes, well, try the cat food. And I said, all right. So I tried this last week, and I caught two in one day. Like, I put them out, shot it, came back an hour later, and there was another one in there. And I, so since then, I haven't caught one, not two, not three, but four, okay? And Corbin, yesterday, shot one in, in the, the roof of my garage. He was up there, and he had my gun, and he shot it. And just a minute ago, he was like, oh, yeah, I can't get to it, so it's going to die up there. I'm like, no, because now it's going to stink up my whole garage. But we've killed five raccoons, okay? And, and I remember thinking to myself, I was like, man, I wish, I wish... I had done something about this earlier because clearly uh, these raccoons were, I don't know if they were inviting friends to come live with them in my garage or if they were having babies and stuff. I've ca I caught some pretty small raccoons. And, and I'm not a killer, for the record. I don't kill, like, when I killed the first raccoon, it, like, looked at me all cute and stuff. And I was like, Ugh. And it really bothered me. But, um, but I've killed five of these. And I, and I remember going into my wife, and she goes, if only you had taken care of this earlier, we probably wouldn't have had as many raccoons. And I was like, that's a great point. And the reason I bring this up is because I think in the same way that I kind of pushed off handling these raccoons and not really uh, doing what I should have done ahead of time, it, it grew and it grew, right? I had more raccoons and more raccoons. And this one that I killed yesterday, good Lord, it was huge. Like, it was this enormous raccoon. I was like, oh, man. And I think that we as Christians tend to do something similar with sin, where we'll say, yeah, I'll take care of that later. I'll take care of that uh, down the road. And what happens is these sins get bigger and bigger in your lives, and it gets to a point where you are overtaken with sin. I try to tell you guys this often, that teenagers, you know, you guys are in a time in your life right now 
where you guys, if you're not careful, you can get consumed and entrapped by sins that might not seem as big of a deal right now, but will have huge ramifications down the road. I've told you about, I have a friend who, who's in, actually in ministry. He got addicted to pornography when he was like 9 or 10. And at, the, at this time, it wasn't that big of a deal. But now that he's older, it, it's, it like enslaves him, right? I, I've, I've met uh, kids who get addicted to drugs at a young age where they're just like, yeah, it's just a little bit, not that big. And then the next thing they know, they're hooked on them. And you guys are at a point right now of your life where I really want to encourage you to just be careful how or be careful what sins you allow into your life. Hopefully the answer is none. Like we as Christians, we need to have such a view of sin that we will say, you know what? If this comes into my life, if this is something that I'm struggling with that goes against God, I'm going to treat it like those raccoons that Pastor Matt shot in the face, all right? You need to get rid of these things, right? You need to get rid of this sin in your life because this sin can hold you down. It can, it can overtake you, all right? So I, I, I really love what Peter says here because he's like, listen, guys, the way that they're acting, you're a Christian. The way that you can prove that you're a Christian is to refrain from acting the way that those guys are acting. The sins that you were enslaved to, you're no longer enslaved to. Remember, if you're free, prove it. Okay, so that's point number one. Let's do point number two. Let's read verses four to six, okay? Uh, reread these. They're surprised. They're talking about the Gentiles, right? When you don't do these sins anymore, they're surprised that you don't join in in the same flood of wild living, and then they slander you. They'll give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standard. Look at verse 4 again. It said, uh, uh, let me see. Oh, verse 4. They're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. So essentially, you're a Christian. You're not doing the same things that they're doing. And what does it say that you do to them? It says afterwards, it says that they slander you. Anybody here ever uh, taken a stand for God before, like in school or in a neighborhood, and people have slandered you for it? Like this, if this has not happened to you, it will happen if you stand up for God. It, it's funny to me how um, people will have an opinion of Christians before they even meet you. When I, I, I've told you before, when I worked at the bank, they found out that I had worked at a church, and they were like, so you're a Christian, huh? And I said, yeah. And they thought they had me figured out right off the bat. They go, oh, you're a Christian. That means you don't like this, 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 and and all this stuff. And when I, when I showed them that I wasn't like judgmental and I wasn't, and I kind of like showed them love and stuff, I think it really surprised them. They were like, interesting. That's, that's interesting. But guys, we, we as, um, they're, they're going to slander us, right? And they're, they're, you know, imagine the early church here. These guys are probably, they're living this out in real time. They live for Christ, and what happens is they probably get slandered, they probably get thrown in prison, they probably get killed for their faith. And so these guys realize what this means here. The, the, the point that I want to make here, point number two, uh, proof number two, sorry, and, and I've, I think I made this a couple of weeks ago, is live differently. Live differently. Here's what I mean by this. If you live for Christ a proof of that love for Christ means that your lifestyle should look a lot different than people who are not Christians. This is what's always funny to me is when people claim to be Christians, yet they're living exactly like the world, and I'm just like, well, it doesn't really fit here. We need to live differently. Um, and, and guys, this can be the hardest thing for Christians. Let me, let me ask you this. Peer pressure, right, is a real thing, isn't it? Isn't it? It is a real thing. I get it. Like, if you're at school and you're hanging out with a group of friends that are not Christians and they want you to do something, it's easy to be pressured into doing something that's not godly if your group of friends do it. This is why I think being a Christian is very, very hard as a teenager. 
Because chances are, uh, you know, whatever school you're going to, there's probably people there who are not living for Christ. They might try to get you to do stuff that you know you shouldn't do. But this is where living as a Christian is, um, I honestly, I think one of the most effective ways that you can live as a Christian is to live differently. Because what I found is like people who tried to get me to do stuff, and this isn't to say that I resisted every time. I gave in to peer pressure sometimes. But, but the times that I would stand up and say, sorry, dude, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and they would say, well, why? And it gives you a chance to say why you're not doing it. Living differently is a great witness because people, people are really weirded out by this stuff. Like they look at you and they go, wait a minute, you don't, you don't get drunk on the weekends? And they go, no. And they just go, what? Like when I lived in Pennsylvania... In Pennsylvania, because it snowed so much, literally all they did every weekend was get drunk because I guess that's all you can do when it snows outside. But these guys would ask me, they go, hey, you want to go partying with us this weekend? And I was like, no, sorry. They're like, well, why? And I said, well, I just, I just don't do that stuff. I'm a Christian and all that stuff. And they're like, wait a minute, you don't get drunk? And I said, no. And they could not believe this. Like, it was the weirdest thing to them. And, and it gave me, it opened up an opportunity for me to show them Jesus Christ. All right? And so let me say this real quick. Anybody here ever heard of Financial Peace University? Anybody ever heard of this before? If you haven't, that's okay. There, there's, um, it's not a real university. But there's a program out there called Financial Peace University that will um, help you get out of debt. Uh, I went to Liberty University and got my undergrad there. It's a private Christian college, which means it's super expensive, right? Uh, 20 years or 15 years ago when I was there, it was like 23000 a year to go, which is crazy expensive. So I got out of college with close to like 80 grand in debt. Uh, my, wife, my wife had some debt as well. We, we st- I start working at the bank, and I remember the loan company called. Uh, they sent us our first bill. And my first bill was like 700 bucks a month to, for college debt. Now, keep in mind, I probably only, I brought home maybe like 800 bucks every two weeks or something. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like my whole first check of the month goes just towards my college loans. And got, it really really wrecked me. I was like, how, how am I ever going to get out of debt? And so my wife and I, we started this uh, Christian program called, um, called um, gentlemen, no phones, please, no phones, thank you. We started this uh, Christian um, debt thing called uh, Financial Peace University. And in it, what he does is his main tagline is he says, um, live like nobody else so that later you can live like nobody else. And the idea is that for this short time, get out of debt. It means you gotta, you're going to have to give up stuff. You're going to have to maybe lose some stuff that you're doing right now, but then later you'll be financially set that you can live like nobody else. And, and it really hit us during this course that, um, that everybody in this country or most people in this country are in debt, all right? Like I, when, when I was in college, I, you know, I'll never forget this. My first week there, we go to the main auditorium. If you've been to Liberty, you know the, the Vine Center, the big dome that goes down where everybody sits. They have this big walkway around the top, and there was like, like just like 20 different credit card companies waiting at the top. And they were just waiting there like vultures for us young people. They're like, hey, you want to get $1,000 credit? And I go, yeah, I'll take 1000 bucks." So you get a credit card. And I use my credit card on everything. And then I wouldn't pay it back. And then I'd get late fees and stuff. And then I would get in debt. And it hit me where I was like, man, our culture nowadays is we are an in-debt, in-debt culture. We, we take out car loans. We, we use our credit cards for everything and all this stuff. And so when my wife and I were trying to get out of debt, uh, there would be awkward times where, like, our friends were like, hey, we're going on vacation. You want to go? And we're like, we would love to, but we can't. And they're like, why? And we're like, well, we're trying to get out of debt. And we don't really have the money to do this. And they're like, just put on a credit card. And I was like, well, it's kind of against what we're, what we're trying to do, you know? And so since then, we don't have car payments, we don't have credit cards, and, the whole, and, and I'll tell you, it, we're living differently than the world. 
right? We're living differently than a lot of people. And it, it's been a little awkward. But as Christians, gentlemen, gentlemen in the back, shh, thank you. As Christians, we, we have to live differently, right? And this means that there's going to be times where it's going to be awkward, where you're going to have friends that are going to try to get you to do something that goes against your, your faith, and you're just like, sorry, I, I don't live that way. But this is, it. this is a big proof of being a Christian, right? Live differently. So that's proof number two. Let's finish off with this last one. Proof number three. Um, let me reread you. Um, let's do this last portion here, verse 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Here's point number three, or proof number three. Ready? Is, let me see. Use your gifts for others. Use your gifts for others. I've been in ministry, in youth ministry now, for I think two and a half years, close to three. And there's, there's been one thing that has really, uh, what's the word, like bothered me or that has really impacted me a lot in a negative way is that I've seen students that I see are gifted and like are passionate about certain things. And it, it, is, it kills me to see uh, uh, gifted and passionate students who don't use those gifts and passions for God. And it really upsets me. Like, not, I don't get mad about it. It just kind of breaks my heart where I'm like, man, this kid could do great things for God if they just channeled that gift and that passion for God. I've, I've seen students that are super smart, that are super intelligent, and then they use all of their gifting for things of this world. And, and it just, it, it really stinks because I'm like, man, think of the impact that this person could have for God if they just use their passions for God. Everybody in this room is talented or gifted and passionate about something. And I, th- and I don't think that's an accident. I think God gives us these passions and these, these talents and stuff, and he wants you to use them for him. Like, you see what Peter says here. He says, if anyone speaks, if you're good at speaking, let it be done as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides. So my question for you guys as we finish off here is, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? Like, what, what is something, if you could do anything for the rest of your life and money wasn't an issue, what would you do? And then I want you to think about how can you use that for God? Um, I'll tell you one quick story and I'll be done. Is when, when I was growing up, my, my parents, I remember they bought this really nice table. It's this, it was this long brown table that had the, the sections that you could put in the middle and extend it and make it shorter if you wanted. And it came with, let me see, uh, six chairs, all right? And I loved this table because every time I'd come home from college, I'd bring some college friends, and my parents would be like, hey, let's get to know these, your friends. So we'd sit around the table for hours, and we would just hang out and chat and talk, and my parents would get to know my friends. Um, even when I was in high school, like, I'd bring the youth band home, and we'd hang out at my house. Like, my house was a cool hangout, and we would eat at the table, and we would just hang out together. Well, my dad ended up moving to Scotland, and before he left, he said, hey, Matt, do you want this, uh, do you want the table? And I was like, oh, oh, my goodness, like, it'll be passed down to me. I was like, I'm so pumped about this. So we got this table. We put it in our dining room, and we finally had a dining room that was big enough that could ha- have a table this big. We couldn't have done this in my last house. And I remember looking at this table, and I looked at my wife, and, and it was the weird thing is we prayed over this table. We said, 
God, allow this to be a place that we can do ministry. Like, allow this to be a place that we can bring people together, we can eat together, we can do ministry together. And what's awesome is since, since we got this table, like, we've invited people over. Like, we've had so many young married couples come and sit at this table with us, and we would eat together, and we would also just talk about marriage together in a godly way. We've had people come over that were going through really tough times that would come. We'd say, hey, come sit with us, you know? And it's crazy that, that even though it's just a table, it, we use that as an opportunity to, to talk about Christ with somebody, as an opportunity to, to, to minister. And, and you guys, um, you know, what's the table in your life? What are you gifted at doing? What are you passionate about that you can use for the glory of God? I'm not, I, you know, I, I look at... Um, you know, for me, it was music. You know, music was something that I kind of picked up pretty quickly. And I was like, oh, man, I, I'm going to work at a church and do music. And so I did that, and that was my way of, of glorifying God through music. What's funny is I got a friend who's not a Christian, but he uses his music. He's in the music industry, uh, in, the non, in the secular world, and he, um, he uses it, it there to, to get to know people that don't go to church. So I was like, how are you using your music for God? And he goes, well, I get to minister to these people in Nashville, and we get to hang out. I've invited them to church. And I was like, that's awesome. You know, you think of guys like Tim Tebow, right, the football player. Like, he used football as a way to share the gospel, which I didn't know was a thing, right? So creatively um, and, and think practically, what are you gifted at? What are you passionate about? And then I want to encourage you guys, use those gifts and those passions to just do stuff for Christ. You know, if you're good at music, use it for God. If you're passionate about orphans, do something for God with that. If you're passionate about sports, use your sports to, to get a platform to talk to people about God. But don't waste what God has given you, okay? So in conclusion, and then I'll pray for us, um, the way that you can prove it, all right, is number one, the, the way that you can prove that you love Jesus is number one, make sure you view sin correctly, okay? Your view of sin should be one that matches Jesus. Proof number two is that you need to live differently. Show people um, that, that Christ matters to you by living the way Christ wants and not the way the world wants. And then finally, proof number three is use your gifts for others, all right? A lot of Christians I see use their gifts for themselves, and I want to encourage you, don't do that. Use it for the glory of God by using them for others, all right? Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll break into groups, and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everybody that's here. We are so grateful, Lord, that, that in the book of 1 Peter here, we can just see um, uh, just these, these ways that we can show our love for you. And, and God, this is actually, um, these proofs here are actually a good way for us to kind of diagnose ourselves or like just see, are we really living for you? If we are living for you, these things should just naturally be showing up in our lives, God, where we are living different lifestyles than, than those who don't know you, that we are um, sharing our gifts with people other than ourselves, and that we do see sin differently, God. I mean, these are things that are just should come out naturally from a Christian. So, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who is not living for you, maybe they, maybe they looked at this list here and they just realized that, man, I'm not doing those things. God, speak to their hearts. Give them a, um, a desire to want to grow closer to you. God, for the people in this room who've never given their lives to you, God, just, um, again, speak to them. Give them a, a passion to want to find truth, uh, to, to give them just a, um, a, an attitude that they're just fed up with the things of this world, that they, they, we see that these things don't satisfy like, like you do, God, and that they can just come running into your arms. And God, finally, for the Christians in this room who do love you, Lord, I just pray for continued strength that... Um, that this passage can be a reminder to us that we do need to live on purpose for you, God, and that if we do claim that we are free from sin that, or free from the bondage of sin and that we love you, 
God, that we can prove it, that we can show what it looks like to be a Christian, that we can be an accurate representation of what you would be if you were here today. God, we love you so much, and I'm so grateful for every single student and leader that's here. We thank you, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.